You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are so glad that you're here. Can I just ask, how many of you got your Christmas tree already? And how many of you are like, no, no, for real, I'm going to get it right after church? Okay, very good, very good. I, I, I know so much about you now. So, well, let me, uh, let me start this way. Uh, I, when I started college, I had no idea what I was going to major in. Up until that time, from the time I was about 14, until then, my goal was to become a rock star by the time I was 21. And uh, I, I didn't think they were offering a bachelor's of heavy metal degree. So I had to go into a different direction. So I went to see a guidance counselor to say, I'm not really sure what I should major in. And then she took me into the library at the college and sat me down and to ask, answer some questions about myself. Now, just to kind of give you an idea, this was a very old computer, and it had one of those dot matrix printers attached to it. You know what I'm talking about? It had like that little the paper with the things, you know, it was like 3D printer. Like, <laughs> it was like a no D printer. So that's kind of, anyway. So this test was supposed to reveal with 99.9% accuracy what I, should have devote my, what I should devote my life to. And now here's what you got to understand. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past if you've been around Calvary for a while. And that is that I was not a very good student in high school. I like to say that I peaked in college. I, I peaked at the right time. But um, in high school, I was not a very good student. I was on what was called the five-year plan. You know, I just wanted to really take my time and let all that sit in, you know, settle in. So anyway, so when I talk about being a senior, I like to say it was the best two years of my life. So uh, I took this class. So what happened was I was just telling my daughter this because my oldest daughter is doing algebra. And so she's like, dad, can you help me with this? And so she tells me this, something that sounded totally made up. And then she's like, I need to, I need to find X. And I'm like, look, see him right there? That's where X is. We're done. And uh, so that didn't work. And then her mom came in who took Algebra and Algebra 2 and pre-calculus and calculus. And I took Algebra 1 and failed it in ninth grade. And then they put me in Algebra 1 again. And because they wanted me to keep up, they put me in geometry at the same time in 10th grade. Luckily, I failed Algebra 1 again in 10th grade, and I failed geometry. So now I'm entering 11th grade, and I have zero math credits. So they put me in a class that was called math. And so, now, I want you to understand, I walked in, and this collection of individuals, and the, it was like, I mean, we're doing like subtraction. I mean, it was, it was like a, so basic. And then they put me in another math class called consumer math. This is uh, where they put basically all the mutants that can't do algebra. And it was the most basic math you could get away with and still call it school. And so we spent, just to give you an idea how basic this was, they gave, it was an entire week on how to write a check. Now, I don't know how you learned how to write a check. My guess is you probably, someone gave you a checkbook when you opened an account, and then you took whatever, the couple of minutes to figure it out, or someone that loves you took the 90 seconds to explain it, but not me. Uh, we had this class, Consumer Math. My teacher's name was Mr. Randall, who was a very nice guy uh, in a very bad situation dealing with people who weren't that smart. Not me. I was a victim of circumstance. But uh, 
So anyway, I go into the class, and I remember the week that we had, he gave us a packet that was stapled, and there was three checks, like, you know, uh, on this one sheet of paper, and then you turn it over, and then there's three more checks, and then three more checks. So we just had to, and then he just started writing amounts on the board, and then we had to write a check for that amount. Like, this is the kind of nonsense that I was learning, but you got to understand how difficult it was for these people. I mean, because it's like, it said date, and half these guys were like, yes, I'd love a date. And, uh, and then there was a part, you know, at the bottom where you sign, and these people are writing like Capricorn, and it was, it was really a mess. So anyway, back to my test in college, is that I fill out all the information about myself, and then with um, almost 100% accuracy, the test said that I should become a mathematician. And so, it, it <laughs> I'm sorry, that doesn't add up. And uh, see, math jokes are money in the bank. See that? So now I was frustrated, as you can imagine, because once again, I'm, I'm looking for some help. I'm trying to direct my future, and that test wasn't giving it to me. And, and once again, a lot of times we find ourselves there where we want to know what direction to take, what road to go down. And so what I want to do today, it's going to be kind of like career day at Calvary, but instead of focusing on what job to do or what career path to follow, we're going to talk about instead what the Apostle Paul does, and we're going to talk about uh, who we're supposed to be by looking at some different careers and what are the characteristics that are necessary to be successful in these particular areas. And so once again, each of these careers that we're going to look at um, require something to be successful, and they require something of us that we need if we're going to have a faith that can last and can stand when difficulties come. And once again, this is at the heart of what Paul's talking about to his son, Timothy. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me catch you up to speed. We've been looking at First and Second Timothy, these two little letters in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, which is his son in the faith, and he's his protege. He's sharing these things with him. And First Timothy is much more about how the church should operate in a culture gone crazy. And 2 Timothy is way more personal. It's a much heavier letter. It's in many ways the Apostle Paul's last will and testament. And if, you don't, if, you, if you're not aware, you don't remember, Paul uh, sent Timothy to the city called Ephesus where he was to pastor a church that he had started. Now, Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And there was lots of confusion about what was true and right and good. But Paul's words were kind of old school, and that's why we called the series this title, because uh, Paul's words were like latitude and longitude. You can chart the course of your life by them. And when you have that, listen, um, we have then a faith that will be able to withstand anything. And once again, because these are Paul's final words, what is amazing about them is that none of them are wasted. And if you were with us when we opened this letter, Paul talked to Timothy about how to have a fearless faith. And then he talked to Timothy about how God has created him with a purpose and called him with a holy calling. And now what Paul wants to do is show Timothy how to live that calling out and what are the qualities that we need to develop to do the thing that God has called us to do. Now, here's the thing that's exciting. And if you've walked with God for any length of time, you've experienced this, that there are some things that God does in your life and in mine. Have you noticed this? There are certain things that God does that he does not require our involvement. Sometimes God does something in your life and it, he just does it and it's amazing and we're grateful. And maybe you've experienced that where you, you've come to know Jesus and then there's just, you've get, experienced freedom in some area of your life. You have blessing in some area of your life, victory in a certain area of your life. But then there's other parts of our lives, 
Other parts where he wants to work in us and transform us and recreate us into the people that he wants us to be, but he will not do it without our involvement. You see, in fact, in another letter that Paul writes in uh, this letter called Ephesians, he says this. Uh, it's right up here. You'll see it. There it is. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And if you're a note taker, and I hope you are, you can circle that word, masterpiece, and write this Greek word, poema. P-O-E-M-A. It's where we get the English word poem. And it literally means this, that we are God's masterpiece. We're his poem. We're his work of art. Now, you might be thinking, I'm sitting next to my husband, and he's a piece of work, so you might be right. <laughs> and so, uh, but listen, your life is a canvas, and God is mixing up the colors, and he's adding and subtracting. He's molding and shaping. And if we will let him the result will be amazing. And so, and, and once again, what Paul wants to share with Timothy and, and conversely what he wants to share with us is he wants us to add these four ingredients into our lives that are evident in these four careers that we're going to look at. And if we will, we're going to see God do amazing things in us and through us. And so we're going to start in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy in verse 1 where Paul says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if you're a note taker, once again, career number one and quality number one, he says this, that I need the commitment of a teacher. Now, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to commit himself to teaching what he knows to faithful men so that they in turn can teach other people. And what is it that Tim is supposed to be strong in? He says, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because here's what you'll know, especially if you're a teacher. You know this, that if you're a teacher, sometimes the students don't get it the first time around, or the second time around, or the third time around. And instead of being frustrated, we need to be gracious. Now, grace is a word that gets used in our culture, even though I think, I don't think anybody has any idea what it means. But grace literally means this. It means undeserved favor. It's getting something good that we don't deserve. Now, we kind of pair grace and mercy, and the Bible does that too. Mercy is not getting the consequences of what you do deserve. If you've ever been stopped by a cop for speeding and he didn't give you a ticket, that was mercy. But grace picks up where mercy leaves off, and grace always adds a blessing to it. Now, to explain it this way, I have a really good friend who used to be on the board of a college and, you know, colleges typically bring speakers in to talk to the student body over the course of the year. And so this year, uh, this, this particular year, a few years ago, they had decided to bring in Mark Hamill as a speaker. Now, if you don't know who Mark Hamill is, that's Mark Hamill. And if you still don't know who Mark Hamill is, you and I cannot be friends. So just FYI. So now, my friend was tasked with the responsibility of picking up Mark Hamill at the airport. By the way, if there's like 10 things I want to do in my life before I die, one of them is pick Mark Hamill up from the airport and then take him to my house. And uh, I'll have the lightsaber set up and we'll have a whole thing. Anyway, but he picks Mark Hamill up from the airport. They're running late. And so my friend starts speeding to try to get to the college on time for this, him to give this speech. And of course, he's going very fast down the highway and a cop sees him, turns the lights on, and pulls him over. And so the cop walks up, he rolls down the window, and uh, the cop says, uh, sir, license and registration. And Mark Hamill peeks out and says, 
you don't need to see his identification. And um, the cop starts freaking out. He's like, dude, you're Luke Skywalker. Which is the appropriate response, by the way. And, and Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, says, officer, we're trying to get to this college for this event. Can you help us? Uh, and he's like, can I help? I'm going to give you a police escort. So the cop turns on the lights, gets in front of the car, and now we're blowing through all the lights to get to this. Now, once again, not getting the ticket. That was mercy. The police escort, that's grace. Now, listen, most of us think of grace in terms of forgiveness. We think of grace in terms of Jesus died for me, and because Jesus died for me and every sin I've committed, past, present, and future, that's what I experience as far as the grace of God. But here's the thing we have to understand. That's where grace begins. That's not where grace ends. And grace extends into every area of our life. And listen, if you want a life where there is joy, grace has to be a big ingredient. Listen, if you only have friendships in your, if you want to have friendships in your life, you've got to be gracious because people are going to let you down. And if you decide to cut off every person who messes up, you will find yourself alone. If you lack grace in your marriage, my friends, it isn't going to last because the only way for a marriage to work is for two people to be dedicated to grace. You see, Paul says that we need to teach that and model it so that they can model it as well. And see, as teachers, there's something that we're, we're seeking to help people understand, and if they, uh, they can embrace it, this is so important for us. And um, whenever we're teaching something, the student has to understand how we grow, all right? Because if you're not aware, and if you aren't, it's okay, I'm going to teach it to you, because that's the thing about being a teacher, is that whenever, and this is how you know if you're a teacher, is that when you say something, they're like, oh, I don't know that, you're like, oh, for real? You know, that's how you know you have like the gift of teaching, because you get so excited when someone doesn't know anything, so, uh, or doesn't know that particular thing. But in most areas of your life, there's three ways to mastering just about anything, Three things. I'm going to tell you what the three things are, and then I'll explain it. The first is information, all right? The second thing is repetition, and then the third thing is mastery. Now, what do I mean by that? Information is when you're hearing things for the first time. It's when you're learning, like when you become a Christian, you're learning all the Bible stories for the very first time, and you're like, man, Jesus did what? God did that? I mean, that's amazing. And so you're learning all of this for the very first time. And then maybe you make your second pass through and you kind of, you know, you hear someone teaching, you're like, oh, I didn't know that little nuance, that little nugget. I had never heard that before. And everything feels new at that point. And then you hit this other stage, this different phase that's called repetition. And this is the part that no one likes. And this is usually where, every, where most people drop off. When I was in high school, I used to give guitar lessons. That's how I made extra money. And so guys would come over to my house and I'd give them a 30 minute or hour guitar lesson. And what would happen is, is that guys would be like, hey, could you teach me how to play this song? Like, sure. I'd listen to the song, learn it, and then teach it to them. And then I'd say, all right, but I can teach you how to play songs. But if you really want to get good, there's certain things you need to know. Like, okay, what do I need to know? I'm like, you need to learn scales. I'm like, okay, so teach me the scales. And so I'd write out the scales for them, teach them to practice it. And we do some variations of the scales. I'm like, okay. And then, uh, Great. I'm like, but I need you to practice this. I need you to be able to play it backwards and forwards with your eyes closed. And you got to play it in, uh, on guitar. You got to learn how to play it in different, um, different positions. And so, because that 
changes things. And so that way you're up and down the neck. You can play whatever you want. And so, and then they'd be like, so we'd come back. I'm like, I'm going to teach you a different type of scale. I'm like, come on, man. Scales are so boring. I'm like, I know they're boring. But you can't get good unless you practice the thing that you think is boring over and over. And that's usually the spot where people would drop off. Now, let me tell you how this works in a church setting for us uh, who are Christians is that, um, you know, you start, you come here maybe, and, and, and you start listening to me for a while. And then you say, man, I just feel like I've heard some of this before. And I don't know if I'm, if I'm here, Pastor Bob has shared anything different that I haven't heard. I must not be growing. And the challenge is, is that you felt like you were growing early on because it was like, man, I was, it, I was taken off like a hockey stick because I, everything that Pastor Bob said was totally brand new. But now I'm hearing things maybe for the second or third time, and now the, the growth isn't quite as visible because now it's not that hockey stick. Now you're growing roots, and that's a totally different exercise. It was the Apostle Peter Jesus' most famous disciple who said it this way in his second letter. Look at what he says. He says, For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Listen, the number one reason that so few Christians grow to maturity is because they cannot grow and they cannot persevere in the season of repetition. But the only way that you grow to maturity is through repetition. And listen, it happens in the church and people, they roll their eyes. Oh, Pastor Bob's going to do another marriage series. He's going to teach another book of the Bible. Isn't there another book out there we can talk about? Like, I don't think you want to hear that. And, uh, and, and some people will listen and be like, I know it. Oh, I already know that. Like, no, you don't. Maybe you've heard it. But there's a difference between having heard something and knowing something. Because if we really knew it, we would do it. And sometimes we don't do it because the only way to really know it is through repetition. And you know what happens if you will engage the season and embrace the season of repetition? You will enter the season of mastery. And this is where we know something inside and out. Now, how many of you are married? If I can ask that. All right. Look around. These are people to pray for. So uh, now, if you know, if you're married, then here's what I know, that all of you have a story of how you met right? And here's the thing that's so amazing to me is that the story of, of, of how you met is that the longer that you've been together is the more times that you've told it. And here's how I know someone hasn't been together that long. Because when they tell me the story of how they met, one starts and then they say, no, 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 I, 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 let me, that's not how it goes. It goes like this. And then they jump in and say it. And then the other person jumps in. When you've been married for a fair amount of time, you'll say one part and then you say, oh, but you know, he, he, he does this part better. And then when you know you've really told that story a bunch of times, and this is just, I mean, this is like synchronized swimmers, I mean, when, when this happens, is that you tell part of the story, and then you just stop talking. And then the other person jumps in, because that's their part. And then they stop talking, because you jump in, and that's your part. And listen, that, my friends, is mastery. And that because you've said it over and over, there's been so much repetition that now it, it's just part of you. And listen, spiritual maturity is the same way. It is the result of knowing God's word so well that it's like breathing. It's just part, a natural part of your life, and it influences everything that you do or don't do or might do or will do. So he says, listen, we've got to have the commitment of a teacher. The second thing that he says is in uh, verse 3. Look at what he says. He says, you therefore 
must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if you pause there and give me your attention, if we need the commitment of a teacher, number two if in your notes, we need the focus of a soldier. Now, there's two things that Paul says about being a soldier that he's going to emphasize. The first thing that he says is that a good soldier has to endure hardship. Meaning you're going to go through difficult times. Do you ever, listen, most of us know people who have served in the military and we're so grateful for their service. But have you noticed that no one who served in the military ever said like, hey, how was it serving in the military? Like, dude, it was so glamorous. All the parties with celebrities. I mean, it was just, no, no, it's just the opposite. In fact, our, our youth pastor, Hugo, who's a fantastic youth pastor, and uh, he was in the military and thank you. Thank you very much. I will pass that along to him next time I see him. I don't know. He was in the first service, so he's around here somewhere, probably fixing something. And, uh, and so, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Um, so every time I see him, he's like hanging off the ceiling, trying to wire something back together. And I'm just like, hey, that liability insurance is limited. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I just need you to sign this waiver. Uh, but listen, when he was in the military, uh, he was deployed for a while, and then he came back. And here's the thing that's for every once in a while, at lunchtime, Hugo brings out for our enjoyment one of those military rations that, that he had. So whenever they kind of, he got dropped in somewhere, they would have this little paper bag that was filled with everything you needed to eat uh, what the military, for some reason, considers a meal. And let me tell you something, that stuff is disgusting straight up. It's disgusting, and it borders on inedible. Now, you say, well, maybe you're just picky. No, this is coming from someone when he was young and was asked who his favorite chef was. I said, Boyardee. So, uh, I don't know that I'm quite that picky, but listen, the glamour isn't part of the gig if you're serving as a soldier. But the second thing that he says is that a good soldier cannot get himself entangled in the affairs of this life, right? Because no soldier says, I'm sorry, I can't go to war. I have to mow my lawn. No, that, we gotta, you don't get entangled in that. What's so funny is, is that Paul uses the word entangled and it echoes what Jesus said about the very same thing that hinders people from growing spiritually. Now in Luke chapter eight, Jesus told a parable about a sower who went to sow seed and some of it fell among thorns. Now, if, if you're familiar with the story, if you're not, he says, a sower went to sow seed. And so there's this, uh, this farmer, and he's got all the seed in his hand, and he's just scattering seed. And in the parable that Jesus is telling, there's four different spots that it falls in. And in these four spots, it, it represents four types of the human heart. And so what happens is, is that the third one is the one we're going to look at. But he says this, and, and it's in your notes in Luke chapter 8. A sower went out to sow his seed, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. God entangled it. It choked it. And then when Jesus is interpreting this so we understand what it means in, in chapter 8 verse 14, he says, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. And then look at Jesus's report card with this person and bring no fruit to maturity. I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying. He says that these people, they hear the word. They start growing until something else comes along and they simply get distracted. 
Now, I want you to notice what carries them away. It's not like this wild sin per se. It's not that they lose their faith or walk away from God completely. Here's what happens. Something else just takes precedent. And Jesus said that typically it's three things that take priority. The cares of life, the riches of life, and the pleasures of life. The cares of life, literally that could be translated the worries, anxieties, or distractions. These are the things that occupy our minds and keep us from focusing on that which is most important. The second is riches, and that is working like crazy to get wealthy at the expense of the things that money can't buy. And then the third is the pleasures of life, and the Greek word is hedon, which is uh, where we get the English word hedonism, which is the pursuit of pleasure. And once again, the report card that Jesus gives, and he says, they bring no fruit to maturity. They never grow up spiritually. And it's not because they were a bad person, and it's not because they hated God or they got involved in the grossest of sins. It's none of those things. They just got distracted. And they took lesser things and gave them greater importance than they should have. And that's the thing that got them entangled. And that's the very counterintuitive idea that Paul is telling Timothy and that Jesus gives his hearers when he gives this message, that everything you're looking for is on the other side of your commitment to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? That instead of focusing on the cares of this life, you can actually trust God and those cares kind of work themselves out. That instead of, you know, just making it all about, I just got to earn this or whatever at the expense of everything else, that if you put things in proper perspective, God will bless your efforts in such a way so that the things that are most important can stay most important. You see, it really is amazing that, but listen, we will never grow to maturity if we take lesser things and give them greater importance. And that's why Paul is saying to us that, listen, you've got to have, you've got to have, if you're, if you're going to have the commitment of a teacher, you need to have the focus of a soldier. And then the third one is so important. Look what he says in verse five. He says, and also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The third thing is this, if you're a note taker, I need to have the integrity of an athlete. Listen, you cannot win unless you play by the rules or you're the Houston Astros. <laughs> but, and I know some of you are like, oh, is that like hockey? No, it's not. It's baseball. So FYI. And so, but listen, Paul's reference to athletics, just, just so you understand what was happening in, in the Roman world, is that um, in the Roman Empire, the, the Greek Olympics were wildly popular. And to compete in the Olympics, um, you had to comply by three rules. Number one, you had to be Greek-born. Number two, you had to train for at least 12, uh, 10 months and swear to that before a statue of Zeus. And then three, you had to compete within the specific rules of each particular game. Now, once again, the spiritual comparisons are very easy to make. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to train yourself in God's Word, and we talked about that a few weeks ago in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And you've got to live according to God's precepts for His people. But by the way, when he, when he talks about this, and, and this idea of running and winning, um, it, it's not that you're trying to beat other people. It's, so it's like, what am I competing against? You're competing against who you used to be. You're competing against your life before you knowing Jesus. You're competing against who you were a week ago or a month ago or a year ago. In fact, Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we studied earlier this year. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
And once again, I used to think that. I used to think that it was all about the people around me, and, I, and, and that's not actually the case. In fact, I, I had a brief stint in my life where I, I did some 5Ks and 10, I, well, not some 10Ks, I did a 10K, and then I realized that running was stupid. Um, and so, and, uh, and, but what I would do is, because I always wanted to look good, I would always put myself in one of the lowest corrals, and if you're, if you're familiar with what I'm saying, is that they would take like the ra- fastest runners and put them in the first or second corral so that the slower runners wouldn't slow them down. So I'd be in like the sixth or seventh or eighth corral. I mean, I'd be, I'd be way back. And I remember running my first 5K, and there was a couple thousand people that ran. And I remember I came home, and my wife was like, how did you do? And I'm like, I came in 15th in my age group. And she said, wow, there are only 15 people your age that ran? <laughs> By the way, this is why I have low self-esteem. And, uh, and, but listen, uh, so a few years ago, I ran the inaugural Star Wars 10K. And so, uh, and so I, they were like, oh, what do you run in 10K? I'm like, oh, just put me all the way in the back. And so, because I just like the idea of looking around and knowing that I'm going to beat all of these people. Uh, and so... Because I'm not a fast runner, but if you put me around the elderly or infirmed, I mean, I look fantastic out there. So anyway, it, it, and, uh, and it turns out I shouldn't have judged all of those people as much as I did. Because there was a 90-year-old guy. He was 90, and that, at least that's what his shirt said. And, uh, and, and he looked it, to be honest. And, uh, and, and I'm like, this guy. And, and I, I judged him in, uh, internally hard. And... Um, and that guy left me in the dust. And um, uh, he was like Speedy Gonzalez's grandfather. And, and then there was a guy back there who literally had a broken leg and this giant, ca- and he ran the race like this with a cast, the in- 6.2 miles. Anyway, it was close. <laughs> I beat that guy by a good 90 seconds. Thank you very much. Then there was this lady that was wearing this weird backpack the whole time and turned out to be an oxygen tank. And she finished 10 minutes before me. And then I talked to an official and I'm like, yeah, that's not fair. She was getting more oxygen than I was. She needs to be disqualified. And uh, they, they, they told me never to speak to them again. And they stopped answering my calls. And, uh, and then there was a girl. Now, mind you, it was a Star Wars 10K. So people are dressed up like stuff. And so there was a girl that was dressed up like a TIE fighter. And so, once again, I don't have time to explain it, but if you don't know what a TIE fighter is, we probably can't be friends. And so, anyway, so she's dressed up like a TIE fighter. And her and I were keeping pace for most of this rate, except right before the six-mile mark, she just... Like, apparently, she'd been holding back. I'm, like, giving it. I'm, like, there, you know. Anyway, I thought my life was going to end that day. And so she just, just, boom, she explodes with speed at the end. And when she does that, she drops her phone. And so I pick it up. And then I start running as fast as I can to catch up to her before the finish line because I knew that once you get to the finish line in these races, there's thousands of people there in the parking lot and I'm never going to find this lady and now I'm going to be walking around with somebody else's phone and it's just going to get weird. So anyway, so I get to the finish line and I'm like, I, I, this lady's nowhere to be found. But right when I get to, right once I'm getting to the finish line, I see her. Because it looks like a lot of people do this, like they get right to the finish line and then they stop to take a picture of themselves running 
uh, through the finish line. So she stops, take a picture of herself, but she can't find her phone. And so anyway, so she's, I see her, she's looking around and I'm like, you know, and I'm like going for it. And by the way, that was, that's about exactly pretty much the speed that I run at. Just like that, that slow motion, or as I like to call it, motion. And, uh, and so anyway, so finally I get there and I am, I've been, this is like all afterburners, everything. I'm going for it. And then I finally get to, I'm like, you dropped your phone. 0.2 0.2 miles ago, and I ran to catch you, and I mean, I, I'm barely hanging on here, and she's like, wow, thank you so much. She's not heavy breathing, and, uh, and, and by the way, I have a picture right at the finish line, and um, you see this guy right here? That is the face of a man who's over it. So FYI, if your phone falls and I'm running, first of all, I'm not running, but if something happens and I lose a bet and I'm running, I'm not picking it up. I'm stepping on it and moving on. Take care of your stuff. And if you look, you see that? That's her phone. So whatever, I'm done. Watch your stuff. Anyway, take that away. That's going to trigger me. So Now listen, the ball's point, listen, we're not running against other people, but we are running to win. And the only way that we win is to run according to the rules. What does that mean? That means we've got to live and and, and we're called to integrity. Integrity means that what we believe internally is reflected by what we do externally. And it is as simple and as complicated as that. Integrity as a Christian means that we are an example of the life that we offer. It means that if we tell someone that Jesus can change their life, we, our life needs to be changing as well. And my friends, this is why compromise is so toxic. Because not only does it hurt you, but it ruins your ability for your life to be a light to those who don't yet know Jesus. Because compromise ultimately is revealing that we don't trust God. You see, integrity reveals something totally different. Integrity reveals that I trust God so much that I'm willing to stand up to incredible temptation and incredible odds. It says, I'm going to trust and obey God even if it costs me something. And I'm telling you, if you stand in that place long enough, you will see the windows of heaven open and God bless your life. As, uh, how many of you have heard of the name Rosie Ruiz? Does that name sound familiar? Oh, no, very good. Let me tell you about her. I grew up in Boston where... So she, if, if it's, okay, it's okay if you don't know who she is. She's somewhat famous, or maybe better put infamous in the Boston area, because in 1980, Rosie Ruiz registered for the Boston Marathon and won the best women's time in Boston Marathon history. The only problem is she didn't run the whole race. Instead, what happened is, is that Rosie woke up in her hotel, and then she left the hotel. She went down to the T. The T is what the train station is called in Boston. She went down to the T, and she took the train all the way to the end uh, about a mile before the finish line. Then she got, she came up from the uh, subway and then she jumped into the race and ran the last mile. And, but what she didn't realize is she kind of, she just wanted to finish. What she didn't realize is that she had set a world record by finishing first, which is what caused all kinds of attention And uh, it was the best women's time in Boston Marathon history, the third best time in marathon history globally at that time. 
Uh, and so she's, you know, all this, all this press and whatever that she's getting. Well, then two Harvard students come forward and say that they saw her get off the train and they reported her. Eight days after the race, she lost everything. Later, she moves to Florida. And a few years later, she's arrested for embezzling $60,000 from the company that she worked for. But what's funny is the Boston Marathon isn't where it started. The place where it started was at the New York City Marathon when she didn't get her registration on time and they told her she couldn't run in the race. And then she called them and said, please, I have brain cancer and this is gonna be the last race I ever won, I ever run. And they were like, oh, well, we're sorry to hear that. So they, they made an exception because they thought that she had an illness, which she did not. And then the Boston Marathon and then jail and then, and here's the point, is that this is the slippery slope of compromise. And let me tell you something about compromise. Compromises never, compromise never stays in one lane. It starts spreading to every area of your life if you don't make a decision that you're going to live with integrity. And my friends, integrity gets tr tested daily. And we just have to decide if we're going to honor God with our decisions or we're going to compromise. I mean, it was a few weeks ago, I went to the store and I gave the girl a $10 bill and she gave me change back for a 20. What do you do? Lord, a blessing from heaven. Um, no, instead, I, I told her, I'm like, hey, I think you gave me too much change. And, uh, and, and I gave it back. Why? Because my integrity is worth more than 10 bucks. And by the way, the real crime that happened that day is that I was buying shampoo and one other thing. And, uh, and so the girl scans the one thing, and then she's looking at me and looks at the shampoo, and she's like, is that yours? <laughs> yes. I live with people who have hair. <laughs> it's for them. Mystery solved. Learn to count. I didn't say that. I said mystery solved. I didn't say learn to count. I thought that because I'm a Christian. So I can't say things like that. I just think of them internally. And, so <laughs> and by the way, listen, give them back 10 bucks, no big deal. But my friends, if we don't pass the small tests, we will never pass the big tests when they show up in our lives. And that's just the reality. One last one and then we're done. Verse six, he says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Last thing is I need the patience of a farmer. We tend to think of patience as just sitting and doing nothing while we're waiting for something to happen. That's not how patience works. Patience is doing what we're supposed to do while we wait and trust God for him to do what he is going to do. You see, farming in the ancient world, my friends, was no joke. Uh, farmers started early and ended late. They endured the cold, the heat, and whatever other weather got thrown at them. They plowed the soil when the ground was hard or when it was loose. And the, the farmer doesn't wait for things to be convenient because the seasons aren't waiting on him. And so when it comes time to plant, he has to plant, then weeds appear, he's got to remove them, and then when the crop is mature, then he has to harvest it. And listen, here's the part that is important for us, is that a farmer can do all of those things, but he still can't make it rain. He has to do the hard work on his part, trusting that God will do the part that only he can do. Listen, there's a teaching in the church at large that if you're, if you're working hard, listen, don't do it in the flesh. 
you got to do it in the spirit. So if you do it in the spirit, it means you didn't do anything and then God just did it. And the reality is there are moments in your life when God is just going to do it. And like you were sleeping and God was working and, and God just does it. But you know what? There's a lot of times in your life that you've got to be like the hardworking farmer. You've got to work hard and do the thing that you're called to do. Realizing I've got to do all of this, but I still can't make it rain. You see, that's called faithfulness. That's not carnal. Trusting God never means just sitting on my hands. It means that I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do and get the ground ready for rain because I can't make it rain. And then here's the other thing that's important for us to note is that when the farmer is tilling the ground and maybe he's watering as best he can and he's pulling the weeds, he's doing all that. And there's moments where you're going to be, the farmer is going to look on at his field and he's, all he's going to see is all of his hard work, but none of the visible result yet. And that's part of trusting God as well. Knowing that even though I don't see the result yet, if I continue to be faithful, God will begin to rain on my efforts and bring a harvest of blessing into my life. You know, that's true in marriage. It's true in marriage when you want to change your marriage and you start doing the things that you're supposed to. And let's be honest, when you start doing those things, it feels awkward. It feels kind of forced. And then maybe you're trying, but the other person isn't really trying. And you're quest they're, you know, they're questioning your motives. Well, why are you doing this and whatever? And, but you just keep working like the farmer does. You be patient and faithful like the farmer. And if you're courageous enough to keep working, then even when you don't see the results, God is going to begin to multiply your efforts and bring the blessing. Parents, let me tell you this. This is how it feels often with your kids. Where you're... And, and if, if you have kids that are a little bit older, you know this. Like you're having conversations with them and you're trying to share things with them that will help them avoid the mistakes that maybe some of us made when we were younger. And you're wondering if they're listening at all. But here's what I know. I don't know if they're listening. But I know that if you stop working like the farmer and stop teaching and coaching, I can assure you they're not going to hear anything. Careers are the same way. Sometimes you're working hard and you're wondering, I mean, does anybody see what I'm doing? Here's what you need to know, is that God sees. And according to the Bible, promotion comes from him. In Psalm 75, you'll see it on the screen, it says, for promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is judge, he puts down one and sets up another. God has a way of getting your name to land on the right desk and literally in one day everything can change if we continue to be faithful and listen when we believe that you know it's going to change how you work it'll change how you view your boss and who you view your boss to be because you realize that you're actually living for an audience of one and that one who can bring promotion is watching and looking for people who trust him so he can work in a way that only he can work. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and I've been talking to my kids about this so much lately, I've been, it says this, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And if you will commit yourself, commit that verse to you, Listen, that God is looking, scanning the earth, looking for people who are loyal to him, that he might show himself strong on their behalf.
And you just got to decide that I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be that person because I'm going to be loyal to him. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do so that then God can do what only he can do. And my friends, the thing that's so wonderful is that we experience this every time we have communion. We see God working in our lives before we ever knew that we needed it. And so maybe this moment is our moment to decide that we're going to be faithful in doing what we're supposed to do because we want God to work. And I firmly believe that God wants to work in our lives. In fact, I tell my kids this, that God wants to work in your life more than you want God to work in your life. And that's why the communion elements make this so clear. That's why Paul ends the section in verse 7 where he says, Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding. The word consider literally means this. Um, It's not just like, hey, this is food for thought. No, instead it means think it through and comprehend what I'm saying. And so that's why when we come to the communion table, it's so powerful because we see God providing something for us that we never could have for ourselves. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. They're going to hand out the communion elements. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to hold on to them as we are going to partake together. And Pastor George is going to lead us as we do. Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. And let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you that when we didn't even know what we needed, you were working. And we're so grateful. And God, I pray that we would be the people who are loyal to you as you're scanning the earth that you would find us faithful, that you might show yourself strong on our behalf. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. 
If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.